You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. And my name, it's Andrew Mackay-Smith. Hope you're well. The interview subject that I've got coming up for your listening pleasure. We talk about legends. There's legends and there's legends. And then there's John Steele. He's the one of the founding members and the drummer for the UK act, The Animals. That's right, The Original Animals. So they're the guys that wrote... Please Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood, and possibly one of the most influential rock and roll tracks of all time, House of the Rising Sun. Now, the reason for the conversation is that John and the Animals are touring Australia later this month, that being November 2019 through to December, and I'll read out uh, all of the dates, actually. I'll just do it quickly. So uh, these are these dates here are in November. 27th of November, they're playing in Fremantle. The 28th, they're playing in Perth at the Rosemount Hotel. The 29th, they're playing Hillary's Bar. I don't know where that is, actually, so sorry. But uh, I don't actually have Hillary's Bar. Where's that? Who knows? Anyway, the 30th, they're playing in Adelaide. In December, they're taking a few days off between the 30th and the 4th of December, which they're playing in Wollongong. The 6th, they're playing in Sydney. The 7th, they're playing in Baddow Bay, which is near Wollongong. The 8th, they're playing in Canberra. The 10th at Newcastle, or in Newcastle. The 12th, just down the road here in Byron Bay. 13th is uh, Brisbane at Kedron Wavell Services Club. And 14th is at Tweed Heads, or it says here Gold Coast, but it's actually Tweed Heads, at Twin Towns. So I'll probably try to get along to that one there. This is a really... I don't know what to say about this conversation. We go deep. We go real deep, actually. And John's one of the originals, so he talks about people that we've only heard about via legend in the first person, people that he's known, people that he's met, and he provides his opinion and his thoughts on all of that stuff, as well as the tour, of course. So here he is, Mr. John Steele from The Animals. So, Andrew? It is, mate. How are you going? I'm all right. How are you? I'm very good, mate. Yeah, yeah. Just... Uh... It's been bloody hot here today, I've got to tell you. It's been about 38 degrees or so um, in the old language. Oh, where Actually, is that? Uh, Queensland on the Gold where, Coast. Where is... Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so you'll be flying oh, into it. That sounds... <laughs> yeah. How, um, how's the fires? I mean, are you, are you all right? Yeah, no dramas for us where we are. They're, they're nearby. They're about... Um, Last I heard, like there's spot fires that keep breaking out each day, but we've got such a dedicated rural fire brigade here around us, mate. They just put them out. And, and I mean, you know, I know people are banging on about climate change, which is no doubt real, but so many of these fires are just put, they're started accidentally by bloody cigarette butts. Can you believe it? By yeah. cigarette butts in yeah, tinder dry conditions. Exactly. People throwing stuff out of the car window and, you know, yeah, it's a tragedy. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. But... We've got to... Right. We got the opposite here. We got um, we're starting to hit the um, uh, less than you know, was three degrees minus three degrees uh, oh, centigrade yeah. last night. <laughs> God, with all due respect to people who lose their homes to fires and the poor animals in the bush, mate, I don't know what's worse. You know that bloody cold weather. I was just I'm, I'm back at uni these days, and I met uni with a lot of students from the United States, and a lot of them are from the really cold parts of the United States. And I've, oh, yeah. I've been to New York, and I thought some. I thought when I remember how cold it was in November in New York, 
And I thought, like, I don't yeah. know how else I can put it, but I'm not used to it being from Australia. I thought the weather was joking. Does that make sense? Like, I thought, how can it possibly be this cold and people live in this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, can, I remember my first winter in New York was um, winter of 64, 65, and um, I, I had to go out and buy a, a, a earmuffs, you know, because it was absolutely, you know, you know, it's like a, and the wind down those concrete canyons yes. it takes it takes your face off you know <laughs> it does now you're not wrong it, it's exactly what it is yeah we've got in in brisbane here close to me in george street in brisbane it acts as a wind tunnel and when there's relative wind around it gets accelerated through that bloody avenue on george street here in brisbane and it, it feels exactly the same way it feels like you're walking up a wind tunnel or you know there's arctic conditions yeah. in a tropical environment but uh mate what do we do we can't really control the weather can we or the environment we just got to rug up no. or wear singlets and go swimming when it's too hot <laughs> exactly yeah you know? <laughs> so is the way yeah, so mate, you, look, you are touring Australia again, and, and we have had a chat before, I wouldn't expect you to remember, but it was a couple of years back, uh, might have been when you last toured or the tour before the last one, you know, but this time okay. around, you know, you, you are playing the major cities again, but you are playing a few regional areas as well, so there's 12 dates in all, so it's a very comprehensive tour that you're coming down mm, here to yeah. do, and, it, and it's coming up too, it's in this month and through December, and thing is, man, is that you've always been popular in Australia. You know, we've always loved the music that you've done. So, do you put that? What do you put that love affair down to? Oh, it's the songs. I think you know, Andrew. It's um, those those songs that we, you know, especially the singles. Um, they're kind of um, they've got depth to them. You know, they've got a kind of hard edge, and people people identify with them. You know, it's it's my life, and we got to get out of this place. Things like that. So, they they, they really stand up well over the years. And uh, we attract new new audiences all the time. So when when we when we play, we're playing to audiences from teenagers to senior citizens. You know, it's quite common to have a bunch of kids in in the audience who know all the know all the songs. You know, mm. I bet and you'd you'd see it too, being up there behind the drum kit too. I suppose so. You're used to seeing yeah. all of the age groups from 18 to literally 80 in front of you. Exactly. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And. Um, Enjoying themselves because because uh, the band is so it's so tight now. Good so, band. This, this yeah. lineup is yeah it's it's really really tight. We really enjoy what we do. We get on we get on with each other really good. So it's good good fun touring. I think that comes over when we play. You know. I think so and too. People kind of respond. I've seen the videos. Respond to it. You know. Yeah, and you're right. I've seen uh-huh. the videos from your last Australian performances, and it looks like you're having a lot of fun on stage. And look, I'm a musician as well. Oh, I've played on stage with people I don't like, and it doesn't. It, it actually comes across, doesn't it? Yeah, indeed it does. Yeah, and the, the audience really pick up on it, you know. Yeah, and there's that envious catalogue that you've got, you know, from which to mine songs for live performance. So there's so many hits. You're one of the key bands of the British Invasion. You're rock and roll hall of famer. So how on earth do you pick a set list? Oh well, we always we always play the the, the major hits, you know, the singles. Hmm. Um, but then we've got all the rest of this catalogue, which is um, B-sides, album tracks, um, just just stuff that we love. So it's um it's a kind of pick and mix. We don't play this exactly the same set every night because you know it's not we're not a cabaret band. Yeah, we like to we like we like to shuffle it around so that we're keeping it fresh and. 
that's what um yeah it's it's not difficult we just go we haven't done that for ages come on let's do lonely avenue you know sure, <laughs> or yeah. night time is the right time you know <laughs> and we throw into and sometimes we haven't played them for you know a long time and you think christ almighty what's the count in for that here we go <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so good to hear. You're a real band. I remember um, watching Fleetwood Mac when Lindsay was still in the band a couple of years back, and it was so perfect. I was sort of questioning if what they were doing was miming it a bit, to be honest with you, until they <laughs> they performed Tusk, and he actually stopped the band mid-set, arms waving and everything. He goes, no, we stuffed up the intro, and I couldn't get into it from there, so let's start that up again. And I was so grateful that he did that. Oh, it was yeah. A big good. show. And- yeah. Yeah, because you've got to do that. You've got to Indeed, show the yeah. fans it's real, it's live, it's raw. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, not, it's, um, it's always the same with us. And every, every night, there's no um, there's no pre-recorded stuff in it or anything. It's just a live band in your face. You know. Mm. Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> so I was going to ask this question a bit later, but I'm going to ask this now. You know, what what keeps you motivated? throughout all of these years? Because I can tell talking to you now how enthusiastic you are about the music and the tour that's coming up. It's just that, that that's all it is. You know, it's just enthusiasm because um, it's a great band. It's a great repertoire. What's not like, you know, you just get on. Mm. I mean, uh, those 90 minutes or so on stage for me are the only time in my life I'm 100% focused on anything. <laughs> I'm hearing you. Because yeah. you're listening to listening to what everybody's doing, you're, you're moving with the kind of, somebody throws a, you know, throws a curve and you have to go with it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, little bits of improvisation that you go, wow, that was good. And, uh, you know, it, it's just uh, what could be better, you know. I'm with you. I'm with you on that one there, yeah. I often relate to people that, I've got two kids, you know, I'm fairly busy at uni and all the rest of it, and I'll be working again very soon. But one of the only times I feel like I'm me is when I'm up on stage performing. Like, you know, it's all down to me on the bass because I'm a bassist to deliver the groove. Yeah. And and I really feel that exactly. responsibility up there, and I feel like as though it's a it's a worthy responsibility. Yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. Hey, there's, there's never been a good band with a bad bass player and a bad drummer. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed, brother. You know? <laughs> you know, that's that's so true. Yeah, I think so many people overlook the rhythm section because they don't understand the mechanics of what makes a band. And I understand people, exactly, yeah. you know, they look at the singer, you know, in your case, they're no doubt, you know. Do you, actually, I'll ask this question now. Do you still get asked a lot about Eric or, or do, do journalists understand, okay, that that's a relationship from the past? Uh, we yeah, I get asked about him um, pr- pretty much all the time when when I'm being interviewed or anything. But um, it is a, a thing of the past, you know. Eric's been trying to carve his own career for you know many 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 years now, and he's been living in California for uh, for decades. decades and, um, yeah. So we're, we're, we've drifted apart, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that happens. And like I, think, I said um, earlier, sorry, you go, mate, you go. I was going to say, um, the, uh, he announced some, that this was his last year. He's, he's, um, he's hanging, up, hanging up his dancing shoes. So uh, I don't know how true that is, but yeah. um, I, think he's been having, he's, I think he's been having one or two um, uh, physical issues. Uh, he had some trouble with his uh, spine, how to get, you know, some, what do you call it, welded together, you know, the, the, the pieces of the spine, you know. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and uh, I think that kind of was one or two things, and he's and he's uh, that he's physically fine and difficult on the road nowadays. So, yeah, mm-hmm. he's, uh, I don't know. I'm guessing it's true that he's uh, re- retiring because um, 
he had a bit of a bad time in um, in Germany and um, uh, in Holland. Uh, the performances, this, this yeah, 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 yeah. I get you. He, yeah, he, he had, yeah, he, he actually cancelled the tour midway. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. Pulled out of several dates. So he seems to be having a bit of a bumpy ride at the moment, and I think he's going to be glad to get <laughs> get home and. Put his feet up, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm hearing you. Yeah, that's the thing that I think people appreciate about you, mate. You know, you've never done that whole retire end of the road tour thing like Motley Crue. Like on a, we all knew Motley Crue were never going to retire. By the way, we knew that they were going to come back. But it, it, to be honest, it pisses the fans <laughs> off. You know what I mean, the fans just go, yeah. like, oh, I wouldn't. To be honest, between you and I and anybody who listens to this, I wouldn't watch Motley Crue. At all, I don't like them as a band, to be honest with you. But I mean, fans get sucked into this stuff, don't they? And they go, yeah. "Oh, end yeah, of the road tour, like the Kiss thing and all the rest of it." It's like, you seriously think it's going to be the end of the road? Let me tell you, with some bands, as long as they've got a heartbeat, they're going. They're exactly. going to be around. Yeah. <laughs> people ask me, you know, people ask me how long can you keep this up, you know? And I always say, look, my body's going to tell me when I can't do it anymore, yeah. <laughs> and there's no way I'm going to go on stage. Unless I can actually deliver, so until that happens, I'm, I'm staying where I am, you know, because I'm enjoying it too much, you know. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And, and you and Mick these days, I can't remember if Mick was in the band. Mick Gallagher, that is, was in the band last time we had a chat. But if you guys, you guys have reconnected, I take it. You guys are mates. Oh yeah, uh, Mick. You know, he goes back way back to uh, Newcastle when we mm. we used to play in the same club. Uh, he had a, he was in a band called The Chosen Few. Which um, eventually morphed into Lindisfarne. Do you know that band? Mm, I don't. I don't not. know, mate. I'll check but, it uh, out. Yeah, I'll check it out though. It was, yeah, it was called Lindisfarne. It was. Um, it was a very much a, a kind of local northeast band, Newcastle band. But it, it, they made it quite good with with some good hit singles. Um, I don't know how far abroad they they tra- travelled, but. Um, they're well known in England. Anyway, Mick um, Mick was part of the origins of that band, and then mm. uh, he joined us in the, in the Animals to to replace um, Alan Price when Alan Price quit the band very suddenly, the original keyboard player. And mm-hmm. and after the Animals, he um, he's been playing with the Blockheads. He and Dury in the Blockheads oh, yes. for twenty five yeah. years. Great yeah. band too. And, yeah, um, yeah. Ian, Ian died, but uh, Mick, Mick he still keeps the Blockheads going. So mm. he's got two bands. <laughs> that he's working with and um he also recorded uh with a clash he recorded london calling with a clash there you go and uh yeah. toured with them and recorded and toured with the eurythmics and um peter franton recorded with some stuff with paul mccartney i, I make a joke about that i say <laughs> he was in the studio with paul mccartney you know uh, but the only result of that was a criminal record. It's called <laughs> Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> I'd agree with you on that point. My God, yeah, not exactly a high point in anybody's career. That one. <laughs> you know. I, I don't think he actually really played on that record, but it makes a good joke anyway. <laughs> That's a good one. I like it, mate. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one because it's so appropriate. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's an interesting time of Paul's career. That one there. So. But there's, oh, yeah. But when, when I think of you guys, you know, and I'll ask you this, um, the album Ark from 1983, do you consider that to be part of the Animals' broader musical catalogue? Like, do, I know it was a, a, a when you guys reformed after some time apart. So do you consider it an essential Animals album? Uh, no, I don't think so. It, mm, um, I thought so, yeah. It, it was a strange kind of... Uh, 
thing that that, that whole business in 1983. <clears throat> and Ark was mainly um, uh, Eric's, you know, insistence on on you know writing the songs for the for the <clears throat> for the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, co- well, he co-wrote them. He had a yeah, co-writer. Um, but generally speaking, it, it wasn't a sort of um, joint effort. You know, we just uh, learned learned the songs and played them. You know, and that was it. I've never, I've done that. I've listened to it since then. <laughs> <laughs> it had, it had some, it had its moments. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's, um, it was so long after. Um, well, really, I mean, when you go from Love Is, and then I know there was before we were so rudely interrupted. But that was that was overlooked, wasn't it? Before we were so rudely interrupted, if I'm not mistaken. And then there was it was, Arc. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was Ark. Yeah, but so, so funny. Ark, oh, yeah, yeah. Funny enough, people um, people still turn up gigs with um, the rudely interrupted album for for me to sign. Really, and a lot really? of people, a lot of people say it's one of their favorite animals albums. I don't get that, but there you go. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I suppose it's it's a bit like uh, depends on when you were born, I suppose, and whether or not your parents listened to the yeah. music or not. I think, and you know, sometimes what happens is a lot of younger people back then say nineteen seventy seven. If you were thirteen or fourteen back then, and your parents are listening to the animals, you know, the the first album you guys had, the classic and animal tracks, and yeah. and then you go, well, I want my own version of the animals, so therefore before we were so rudely interrupted, that's my version of the animals, that sort of thing. You know, there's <laughs> that possessive nature yeah. of people toward music. Exactly, yeah. You know, every you know every generation has to have its own soundtrack. You know. Indeed. Yeah. Do, do you have Do you have a favourite episode in the animals, or is it is it all is it all great? It was all pretty great because it was also um, was such a novelty. You know, um, mm. you know, five working class guys from a provincial city in, back in those days um, suddenly being touring the world and and having all this uh, attention and fame and being on television and radio it, it was it was thrilling it was really a really exciting time you know i think um i still have one of my favorite moments though is the one i always remember is when we first uh, flew to america and uh did i tell you that story i must have done uh, how, how we no, were oh <laughs> we, well, we flew uh, it was the first trip to, to trip to the states in 1964 and when we arrived, the um, the American record company MGM had set up a, a stunt. <clears throat> they had a, a a British sports car manufacturer, Triumph, had a, had a, introduced yeah. a new model called the Triumph, Triumph Tiger. Okay. Yeah. And the the PR people, the PR people sort of went ding. Let's we've got the animals. So we've got a Triumph Tiger. <laughs> so uh, when we when we sort of did the press conference and everything at the airport and then they, they, they put each of us into into a car into a individual triumph tiger sports car open top with a with a, a model dressed in a fishnet stockings and a basque uh, whiskers and a tiger's tail <laughs> and, and, and sat us on the back with a driver which <laughs> you can imagine we drove into drove into manhattan with a motorcycle escort <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then we were. We, I kept, kept looking back at Eric, saying, "What?" Because we, you know, to be in America was such a thing for us. You know, we were everything inspired. But yeah. there we were heading towards the Manhattan skyline in this ridiculous convoy with a motorcycle escort, and it was so funny. I'll never forget that. Yeah, they were called um, Sunbeam Tigers, I think, in Australia. 
You know, the Triumph brand was oh, yeah? all under British, British okay. uh, Leyland. Yeah, so I, I remember the shape of it, yeah. Kind of like a Mazda MX-5, you know, like a, that sort of a car, yeah, I think, I, wasn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but no, that's a, that's a classic, yeah. And, um, mate, I'll, I'll ask this question now. How much t more time have we got? Because I think we're nearing the end, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 20 minutes, or have we got some more time? You've got more time. There's no, uh, there's, I've got nothing now until this evening. Uh, it's, it's 11, it's... What it's ten ten minutes to two midday here, so you got plenty of time. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Hey, I was uh, I was watching, and I know I mentioned this last time we had a chat, but I was watching the your induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame again just before the call, and it's always one of those oh, moments yeah. that gives me a bit of, um, you know, it, it gives you tingles up the spine for you guys to be honoured in front of that many people for your musical contribution, um, and and. I reckon, by my own estimation, now I, I won't ask your opinion on this, but this is my opinion. It's one of the few times that the Hall has actually got it right in the sense that they had the good sense to induct a band who has contributed so much to yeah. rock and roll in a timely manner. I mean, they just make, to be honest, as far as I'm concerned, they make so many weird choices and mistakes along the way. And, you know, yeah. they've got Madonna in there, ABBA, NWA. They've got artists that don't even play rock and roll in there. And... Exactly. You know, yeah, it's so bizarre. Right? I mean, it's like, is it a rock and roll yeah. hall of fame or is it a music hall of fame? What is it? So exactly, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, I, I, I feel that way. There's so much. Um, that there's so much music, which is nothing wrong with the music, but it's just not rock and roll. You know. Mm. <laughs> and, Indeed. Yeah. And you got to think. Well, it's a, it's a different. It's a mid, it's a middle of the road pop stuff. It's not. Um, it's not what I call rock and roll anyway. I don't think it's I don't think it's what anybody forward thinking person would call a rock and roll like a lot of it that goes there. I mean, ABBA for God's sakes! I know they are huge, but they're not rock, and they their their contribution to the zeitgeist of of uh, of the culture of music, if you like, is that bloody Eurovision thing. And and outside yeah. of that, they were popular in Australia, I think, in the UK, and not many other places. And look, being a musician and being a covers musician, I've had to play a couple of their songs, and yet they're not bad. I can see people respond to it, but it's fairly, you know, I don't know how to say this, but dated. You know, it hasn't moved at the times. Like, you know how your music is fairly timeless? Like, you can put on your music, and people generally respond to it now. But ABBA, I yeah. tend to find there's yeah, that, that what, what's called cultural cringe associated with it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 of its time, and it it doesn't move. It doesn't travel well out of its time. Yeah, it it doesn't. It's not universal music. Yeah, so you know, it, you know, bands like Iron Maiden. I mean, Motorhead. For God's sakes, I mean, Motorhead. I mean, they're they're almost the personification of rock and roll, aren't they? Um, Indeed. <laughs> and Judas Priest. I mean, these are bands that are yet to be inducted or even thought of. I don't even know whether they've been nominated. I could be wrong, but um. It's such a weird institution, that one there. I almost think that rock and heavy metal fans, and I know there's a heavy metal Hall of Fame, but I think it needs to be more general than that. I think it needs to be the rock and heavy metal Hall of Fame. I think you guys would be yeah. one of the first bands inducted into it, given that you are forefathers of yeah. rock and roll. Yeah, I think it's a, uh, I've never thought about it before until now, but um, it, it seems to me that, that like ABBA and... Uh, people of that ilk who aren't really rock and roll, hmm. they get inducted because they've been voted by the current inductees, you know, yeah. members. Yeah. Um, and each time that happens, every year it goes by, that kind of dilutes the the the, uh, the list, doesn't it? Because the, the people who are voting 
for the next lot aren't really rock and rollers anyway, so they tend to vote for something. <laughs> you know, you don't want I agree. <laughs> very smart point. It's a very sharp point you make, man, and it's um, it's it's a real issue I think moving forward as to how do we honour rock and roll bands because rock rock music mm. is is just not a part of the cultural zeitgeist in the United States at this point in time. Probably in the UK as well, I'd imagine. Um, it's really yeah, just, you're, you're it, pretty right. Yeah, it's gone underground, hasn't it? Rock and roll, which is really weird. It's such a strange time for music yeah. when when Beyonce and I don't want to get this wrong, but I think I'm right in saying this. Beyonce gets nominated for a rock Grammy or something. I mean, it's like really, oh. what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, it's it's so it's no it's no disrespect to the artist to say that they should simply not be nominated in that category, or or yeah, even thought yeah. of in that category. It should be for rock music for rock fans. And rock fans will tell exactly, you what rock yeah. music is. You don't need a, you don't need to, you don't need to go too far to find a rock fan. It's it's it's, it's the most popular sort of music, rock music that isn't promoted these days. Exactly, yeah. I, I'm always encouraged when um, when we do concerts and uh, clubs and whatever kind of venue, um, we always have a, a a bunch of young people in you know in their teens, even uh, teens in their very early twenties, hmm. and um, I'm I'm always encouraged by them. Um, having the nouns to uh, look beyond the the current charts, uh, the current you know big big sellers, and 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 find music that that, that kind of resonates with what how they feel. You know, mm. um, I can remember being that way when I was fourteen, and I was very drawn to uh, to jazz. You know, um, yeah, I can hear that with your drumming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can hear and, it. Uh, very good drumming. Yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, I think it was, it's great that those those young people, those kids, those teenagers or whatever, have, have thought I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be governed by this kind of popular stuff that's going on. I want to I want to know where the real stuff is because we were like that. I mean, when we started, when we started playing, we'd, we'd been inspired by the rock and roll of, of Chuck Berry and Little Richard and Fats yes. Domino and um, you know all those guys early rockers but um at the same time we thought you know um th- th- there's other stuff and we, we you know we started to delve into you know finding the the, the mississippi delta blues men and um guys like john lee hooker and uh mm. muddy waters and it, it was uh, <laughs> it was funny that we had we had that, that sort of mindset in newcastle in the 50s and um it wasn't until the british scene kind of broke wide open that we realized that there were people all over the country and, and, you know, like the Stones and Spencer Davis and mm. uh, whatever, you know, all, all over the country had been thinking exactly the same thing and in being inspired by the same people that we had thought we, we, we thought we had, were the only people who knew about this. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, mm. and then we discovered, we discovered that there was bands all over the country doing exactly the same thing. Did you have a Did you have a lot to do with the guys and the Beatles back in the day? Was there Was there a lot of interaction between you? Um, yeah, because we used to hang out. Um, there, was, there was these kind of um, nightclub drinking clubs that, that sprang up, and um, it, it was. Uh, I remember one time, and it was about sixty five or something. Um, Frank Mancini, who was the our PR promotion man in, in in New York at MGM, he came over to London to visit, you know, and um, we took him down to this, one of the clubs that's called the Scotch St. James, and uh, he was looking around and he thought, 
he said, my God, he said, if, if this was in New York, the, the kids would be tearing this building down brick by brick to get in here, you know, because it was like the Beatles were over there and the Stones were there and Spencer was going to somebody yes. else and mm-hmm. the Kings. <laughs> it was packed oh with God. all these yeah. bands who were... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I worked yeah, as so a... We, uh, we, Sorry, you go, mate, you go. Okay, I was going to say just, yeah, we did um, mingle so socially and, um, and steal ideas from each other, you know, it was... <laughs> It was good. Was was a good uh, atmosphere. It was, no, there was there wasn't any kind of ego trip and you know I'm better than you kind of crap. It was uh, everybody was digging each other, you know. Yeah, I was just going to say I worked with a lady a couple of years ago who grew up in Liverpool in that era, and she mm-hmm. was talking about how exactly what you just said. Then it was like all of these bands that are now household names. You go down to the local pub and they'd be playing in there doing covers and then they do exactly. the originals and then they go on to do the covers and it'd be set for set, that sort of thing. But it was just normal back then. You had no idea you were listening to these artists that were get, were, were, were literally creating the template for modern rock and pop for the next, well, they still are. You guys still are. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like the people that write Taylor yeah. Swift songs, they're influenced by the animals. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like people don't understand yeah, that. Yeah. It's, like Taylor doesn't write, I'm sure she has some part in those songs, but she doesn't really write a lot of it. Whereas the people that write her songs for her, the people that they're influenced by, were, were influenced by the Animals, the Beatles, the Stones, uh, the Kinks, all yeah, of these bands yeah. that you just mentioned there. You know, so it really was. It was the petri dish of rock and roll music back in those days in Liverpool and and, and Newcastle and those areas. Yeah, I was I was blown away. Um, I think it was maybe a couple of years ago now. Um, with uh, when Springsteen was doing a world tour, hmm. and just about every show he did, he said. I want to tell you, um, my inspiration for what I do is a, is a British band called The Animals, and just about every song I've ever written was based on, we got to get out of this place, it's my life, and don't let me be misunderstood. <laughs> it's just, listen to any of my songs and you'll find some of that in there, you know. And yeah. that, that, was, that blew me, because I, 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 I admire Bruce Springsteen anyway, and it was such a compliment to, to, to hear him say that. And every night on a major tour, it was really good. Yeah, that's that's a such an important point that you make there. I mean, um, uh, we've got to get out of this place. I can tell you, mate, I've played that two dozen times myself. But remember the Angels did a version of it? Do you remember the Australian band, the Angels, they did a version of it? Yes, yeah, they, they had a big hit with it, didn't they? Yeah, we do that version. Man, and I can tell you, it goes down beautifully every time we play it. It's a killer song. Yeah. You know, and... and, and it's a, it is a killer. And uh, Saint Esmeralda, Santa Esmeralda doing that version... Of your cut that made the the uh, I think it was Kill Bill soundtrack, wasn't it? Did you ever watch that film and hear your song in that? I watched uh, Kill Bill one and two, and um, I'm just trying to remember which song it was. Was it? Was it? Get, we got to get out of this place. It was. Uh, was it? No, I can't it was, remember. It was. Uh, Please don't let me be misunderstood. It was the Santa Santa Esmeralda oh, okay. had covered it as a disco song in the seventies, and then that version of it came on and I remember loving, honestly, I remember because I'm a, I'm a, being a bassist, of course, I love a lot of disco and funk and this stuff. And it wasn't until later that uh-huh. I, I realized it was your song. And um, it was a song that I play for the kids, mate. I've got to tell you, I put this song all the time on for the kids and they love it too. You know, I mean, this is the influence. This is the enduring influence of John Steele and the animals that we're talking about here. And I think it's important that you get this yeah. feedback, you know. Yeah, that's great. It's good to hear that. I must, I must have revisit the, those Kill Bill movies and check that out because it's, it's slipped my mind. It's been a while since I've seen them. I really enjoyed them as well too. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's that. It's definitely a Quentin Tarantino movie. It might not be Kill Bill, although I'm 
I'm pretty confident it, it is, but he has an ear for really okay. good music, as I'm, as I'm sure you can appreciate. He does, he does. Yeah, yeah he, really, he really thinks about what he wants in the in the soundtrack on, on his movies, and uh, yeah, very interesting stuff. <laughs> um, oh, there was another, another yeah. point I was just going to make there. What was that? Uh, oh, yeah, just somebody, um, a, a friend of mine, uh, an old school friend of my wife's uh, who lives in Vancouver, just sent me an email this week saying that um, uh, I think it's Ford launching one of the new cars hmm. and um, they're using a, an, an, animal's, uh, an, animal's sound, uh, in, an animal song for the soundtrack. It's not, uh, I think, it's, yeah, it's Boom Boom. Boom, 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 they use yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I must, I must chase that up. Oh, please I do. Chase that, yeah, chase I mean, up. if you've got yeah. if you've got the publishing on that one, mate, don't let them get a bloody way with it, man. A lot of corporations trying exactly. to get away got, with stuff. I give the the guy who the, the accountant who looks after our stuff. I'll have to give him a ring and uh, tell him to, to chase that up. Yeah, I, I, I had to do that a few years ago when um, Ford Fiesta in was a model that was uh, introduced into the UK and um, they, they used Roadrunner, our version of Roadrunner hmm. and it ran for it ran for months, you know hmm. so, but before, uh, I called the accountant and he said, I'll get on it you know, and he came back and he had um, he, he had hit them for a, a tidy sum of money, which we wouldn't have got otherwise you know, they just don't, they won't pay out unless you, unless you chase them up you know. They're such bastards, aren't they? I remember Duff McKagan saying about and this is similar, different but same field, is that is that Duff McKagan on Jamie Jaster's podcast was saying that that they they did something similar with Geffen Records that Guns N' Roses had to go back and say you haven't been paying us royalties on these exit. I mean, you know, use your illusion one or two or some of the highest selling albums of all time, as I'm sure you're aware. And there's uh, yeah. they hadn't been paying or hadn't been paying them sufficiently. And anyway, Duff had gotten onto his accountant or someone important in financial matters to get onto Geffen and they went, meh, we actually owe you this much, but would you settle for this much? Meaning much less than what they owe them. <laughs> <laughs> and the band just went, well, at least we're getting something, so yes. Oh, they're such bastards though. I mean, I just can't stand that. Like, they're profiting for no for no particular reason. They could easily pay you guys a tidy sum for the work that you guys have already done and everybody would be happy. They should of course they they should do, and uh, you know it, it just shows you what bastards they are. But when you when you have to kind of arm, you know twist their arms to get it out, get the money back. <laughs> Especially, I mean, yeah, you you because you're you're in that that elder statesman status at this point in time. Yeah, it's so true with the animals because there's like fifteen bona fide hits that almost anybody from the age of nine to ninety, if they heard them, would go. Yeah, I've heard that song before from you guys, for example. So advertisers and marketers and shopping centres, whatever, like they want this sort of music to pipe in, right, to keep people doing what they want them to do because it's familiar music, isn't it? But unless you know about yeah. it, imagine how much, how many times your music would be played for commercial reasons in far-flung places like South America that you haven't heard of, you know, in terms of... Exactly. You, oh, yeah. It'd be heaps, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's frightening to think about that, yeah. And um, yeah, you're right. It's um, when we, when we do a show, we usually do a kind of uh, meet and greet after, you know, signing some merchandise and things like that. And uh, mm. <clears throat> quite often, somebody will say, you know, I, I just came to see this band because I remember House of the Rising Sun, da 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 da. But the songs just come kept coming one after another, and I kept thinking. I remember that. I remember that. I, oh yeah, I forgot. I remember the song, but I forgot who who did it. But right. all of those songs are, are in the head, you know. 
And you go, yeah, that was us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think Pete, because you are, you're literally, nobody was doing rock music the way you were doing it before you did it. And I don't think people, people yeah. of course don't realise that in 2019 for the, for the uninitiated, they don't realise that. So when they turn up to watch your performance, yeah, literally every song that you play will be familiar because they've heard it in some yeah. way, shape or form. And I think that's, that's part of the attraction to you guys still performing. And do you, do you see that? Do you see that when you're up on stage and you play and people sort of look at each other going, yeah, we know this song. We don't know the name of it, but we know this song. Do you see that, that, that physical reaction happening? Yeah, you know, very much so. Very much so. You know, I mean, there's some, there's some kind of, uh, there's some gigs where, um, you know, we played one in, in Cairo just a, this weekend gone. It was a, it was a big, um, big business billionaire kind of guy who, who oh, was yeah. actually a good, a, a, a serious music buff, a genuine. He was a really nice guy, hmm. um, but, but he's rich enough to throw a private party in, in the grounds of his palatial home uh, <laughs> literally cool. look over his garden wall and you're looking over his garden wall and you're looking at the the three pyramids and of Giza you know yeah. <laughs> it was that close to the pyramids it's fantastic <laughs> and it was like one of those um, it was open air because the temperatures about 30 degrees you know and it was lavish you know it was it, I thought is this like being in you know you know Colombo where he where he goes to these uh, Beverly, Be Beverly Hills mansions to find the murderer of <laughs> Oh, yes, who's yes. Who's... I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the French guy took Poirot? Poirot as well, Poirot and Colombo and all yeah, those. Same, same yeah, same sort of thing. So there was, there was all these well-heeled well people, you know, from all over Europe and uh, the Middle East, uh, friends of this guy, and he, mm. he was very, very... Uh, he threw, throws parties all the time. There's about two or three hundred people there. You know, he had a proper sound stage, a really, really good sound system, a proper mm -hmm. sound man, and everything. So, it, from technically, it was great for us, you know. And um, mm -hmm. we, we hit off, but there was a space between uh, the, the the stage and the the front row of all these seats, the gold <laughs> gold plated seats. <laughs> <laughs> you know, gold painted anyway. <laughs> but there was rows and rows and rows of seats there. And um, that's where the audience were. And there's this, like this sort of half a football field in between us. You know? <laughs> yes, but yeah. really, honestly, within within three numbers, they were all down to the front of the stage because they were all be clicking in, get, you know, saying, I know this. <laughs> and they were really, um, yeah. you know, they're really picking up on it, you know. So, But that, that's an instance of, of what it is when, you, when they begin to recognize what they're listening to. A bit. And uh, yeah. I, I always feel that, you know, when, you know, if we haven't got them by the third number, we'll, we, we never will. But fortunately, touch wood, we always do. You know, we always get a, a standing ovation. I've got to ask then, given given the amount of bangers and hits that are in your set, and I'm talking about in recent years, so let's go back, say, 20 years. Has there ever been a performance, and I'm not talking about from a musical perspective, but where you just don't feel the audience has got it? You know, like you've turned up to a gig and it's like, they don't know who we are or what we're doing here. I mean, I can't imagine it would happen, but I'm probably not going to have another opportunity to ask an artist as significant as yourself to ask the question in terms of the recorded body of work that you've got. So have you ever played in front of people that have been like, who are these guys? What are they doing? That sort of thing. Uh, do it, do it, do it. I don't know if you know um, the... Uh, Rivalry between the cities of Newcastle and Sunderland. Did you know anything about that? Nothing at all. Tell me about it. Go for it. Nothing. 
Well, it's just one of those things. We're only about, um, I don't know, 15 miles apart. You know, it's one of those things like Liverpool and Everton. Okay. Uh, or Arsenal and, you know. Oh, the soccer thing, <laughs> yeah, the football thing, yeah. Yeah, um, it is a prim- primarily a soccer thing. Um, so um, the, the big rivalry between the cities. And, and for the first time in, since the late 50s, early 60s, uh, I found myself playing at a, a nightclub in, in Sunderland. Uh, I can't remember how we got booked there. And um, with, with this current lineup, you know, this band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it was just a lot of people standing around um, the, the perimeter of this big glitzy room. And it was, it was a disco kind of place, you know, it wasn't, wasn't our place yeah, at all. You know, so. I don't know yeah. what the hell, I don't know what the <laughs> hell we were doing there. <laughs> and then we were playing and, you, you, you could hear all the uh, when I'm, I go forward and uh, do a little bit of chat, you know, to introduce the guys in the band and Mickey and stuff like that. And I went forward and started talking, and there was this hubbub of people talking to each other, you know, around the bar, and not one of them had come forward onto the front of the stage, you know. And I thought, yeah. I, I've never had, I've never had this happen before. I can't believe it. <laughs> but the bloody Sunderland people, so. <laughs> that, that, that's, <laughs> oh, are they just being a bit regional, are they? Are they being like John and the animals come from this part of the the UK? We're, we're not yeah, going to support they're, they're, him. They're from Newcastle. We're not impressed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like the Sydney and Melbourne thing that, here. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, that's fortunately that was a very rare occurrence. That you know, every other time I can remember, we've um, we've always had a good response, and at least. Uh, you know, a good response or, or more than likely a stand innovation and, you know, have to go yeah, on and do on cause. So we've got, we must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah, we'll call them the Sunderland hipsters. There you go. They're too cool for school. You know, they're too cool to clap for the animals. <laughs> <laughs> too cool. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you, do, you, do you hear your influence in modern music? So, so what I'm asking, I suppose, if you listen to modern music, do you hear yourself in it? Do you hear any strain of the animals through it? Um, I can't say I do really. I suppose it must be, you know. Um, and it had to be there, wouldn't it? But it's just hard to sort of pick it out directly, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Um, we do get, um, you know, when we play in, in Europe, you know, we do a lot in Scandinavia and Holland and Belgium and wherever. Um, we do get quite often support bands who are obviously very influenced. Uh, you can you can see. You can see that, but that, I don't—I can't remember noticing particularly listening on the radio or anything like that. But uh, mm. there, there must be, you know, there must be that influence in there, and, um, and I'm pleased there is. <laughs> yeah, what I think but, it is—it's um, in, it, in the chord, the chord choices, and the song structure. I think that's what it comes down to. Uh-huh. I don't—I don't even think they realise. Well, it, well, but, yeah, I, I'm a drummer. What do I know about that sort of thing? <laughs> Oh, it's beat selection. Hey, I think think your your drums are very distinctive. I've got to say, you know, yours and Charlie Watts. I mean, to me, you're the sort of drummer. Whenever I hear you drumming, I can go, yeah, that's John. You know, I'm a, I'm a bassist, so it might be a bit easy for me to do that. But I think a lot of people feel that way. Oh, excellent! Thank you. I, I remember Chaz. You know, Chaz, the, the bass player with the Animals, and uh, he um, he was managing Jimi Hendrix, and uh, somebody was interviewing him about. Um, about what it was like in the animals, and uh, there was there was a point very near the end where I I quit the band and um, they they struggled on for a few more you know, a couple of months or something. It, it, mm. it, it was it, the band was more or less cracking up, you know, 
And um, so I, I said, I've had enough. And uh, a guy called Barry Jenkins, who, who played in the band called the Nashville Teens, we knew him very well. He, he stepped into my, my shoes. And um, Chaz was doing this interview and somebody asked him about that. And uh, Chaz said, you know, when Johnny Steele left the band, the swing went right out of it. It just yes. became another rock band. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, bless you, bless you, Chaz. That was lovely, you know. Mm-hmm. Were, you, uh, were, you, were you ever close to Mitch Mitchell, you know, the, the Hendrix drummer? I met him. Uh, I didn't. Meet, I didn't meet him, and uh, but I wasn't close to him. I, I can't say I was. But uh, but you know, same sort of thing. We're all, we, uh, Charlie and 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 uh, you know Mitch. We all had that kind of uh, jazz influence. Yeah. From from being from being early teens, I guess, and it, it always kind of came across in our in our playing. You know. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's just that that era, isn't it? I mean, that's the era that rock and roll was forged. Really, I, I get that there's the Delta Blues and everything before, and I understand that. And I've often said they are the founding mother and fathers of, of rock and roll, you know. No doubt about that, Aretha Franklin, etc. But yeah. you guys are the guys that really actually made rock and roll sound what it does now, and it still sounds to this day. I mean, I mean, there are, there are bands that come out, um, maybe not recently, because under, rock music is just so... You know, it's almost become a, a pariah for commercial, uh, you know, radio stations, and not that they have much influence. Yeah. Them, so, but you know what I'm saying, like. But there are bands that yeah, come I out, do. like, I don't, like Vampire Weekend and stuff. I don't know whether you've heard of these bands. I think they're a band from Connecticut in the states. Um, but I can hear you guys in them, and they're still yeah. really, really popular bands. Yeah, these are bands that only had their debut in like 2007 or eight. So they're recent bands wow. as far as I'm... I'm in my 40s, so they're recent bands as far as I'm concerned, you know. But, okay. But, yeah, I, ah. I can definitely hear it, man. Yeah, and I think things are cyclical. I think things are cyclical. So I even think the production methods that you guys deployed are influential under themselves, you know, that very even and crisp production that you had that layered Eric's vocal over the... You're, you're, there's two things you can really hear with your music. You can hear... And this is... And I've spent enough time in the studio to know this. I think you guys, and I could be wrong here, you guys, if not pioneered, one of the most um, prominent aspects of your music is the fact that your drumming and Eric's vocal are on par with each other sound-wise. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I, it does, you know, because I, I, do, I, I do listen, uh, uh, and I, I always, always lock in with what's going on, especially the bass player. Hmm. You know, um, I really love to, to get in tight with the bass player. and uh, But I'm, I'm always listening to to what everybody else is doing. Like, and uh, yeah. I, I like to be able to hear what everybody's doing. And, and I, you know, there's a spontaneity about the, the, the playing that, that I still have even where, where I can, you know, we, we, we're not a band who plays rigidly exactly the same thing note for note every night. You know, we're not a cabaret band. So there's a bit of freedom in there. And I, I love mm. that. I love that when somebody, somebody's suddenly inspired to take a little flyer off <laughs> and then you go, yeah, yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. And it's Great, and everybody everybody responds at the same time. So the band is so tight; we all know, you know, we can all go with with anything that somebody throws in the mix. You know, hmm. it's good that and the recording. Talk about recording. I mean, I don't know if you if you know the story of the recording of the house, the house of the rising sun. Um, no, tell me about it. Go for I it. Mean, yeah. Well, the, 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 you talk about sort of you know techniques and recording uh, ideas and things like that. When we recorded House of the Rising Sun, it was in the middle of the night, in, in the middle of a, our first major tour when we were playing support to Chuck Berry on his first visit, first visit to the UK. Mm-hmm. And Rising Sun was going down very well because we, we just thought 
it was a Charles's idea. He said we should do something that, um, that that's complete contrast to to what everybody else would be doing, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, rising sun. We'd been kicking it around and 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 it was working well. So we we did it, and uh, the reason the audience response was, you know, positive, you know. Mm-hmm. So we. Uh, we we zoomed down to uh, the studio where we did our first single. We'd only had the one single at this point. Uh, we've got to get out of this place. Yep. And um, and it's a little, it's a little basement in Holborn uh, in the in, in in London. It's a, it's a, it's a one one track mono studio. <laughs> I mean, it was really primitive. Mm-hmm. And we got in there in the middle of the night, set up, did a did a bit of a run through to get a, a sound balance, and uh, we said right. So Mick said, Mickey said, right, uh, go for it. And um, we, we played House of the Rising Sun one time, just the one time. Mm. And Mick, Mickey came out and he said, uh, I, I want you to come in and listen to this. And uh, we trooped into the control room and the, the, uh, the guy, the engineer, pl- played it back. And Mickey said, you know, that's a hit record. And... Uh, it was like that. It was just the one take, you know. And and the engineer said, "Oh, Mickey, there's a bit of a problem there." And he said, "What's that?" He said, "Well, it's it's four minutes thirty odd seconds long. Uh, yeah. You'll never get the BBC to play that yeah. because it's you know it's set in stone. It's got to be two and a half maximum, three minutes, you know." And uh, and these are his exact words. I always remember. He said, uh, he, "He stopped for a beat and then he went, the hell with that." We're in the final age now. We're going to go for it. <laughs> Indeed, and yeah. that was how it was made. You know, it was uh, it was just a live performance. Actually, that's simple as that. That's a live performance. That that classic cut that every almost every person on earth has, has listened to. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. That's that. Absolutely right. No, that's exactly how it happened. Bloody hell. And, uh, tight band then. Jesus. I mean, that's a tight band there you got then because that's classic. I mean, that's that's one of the formative... That's one of the four or five songs that made rock music, that song. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems to be an important record on all sorts of levels. You know, the number of people who come up and say, that was the, the, I can remember the first time I heard that song, you know, blah, 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 and tell me half the life story in there. <laughs> but it, it bet, seems to yeah. have hit so many people in so many ways. But that was how it was recorded. That was the most simple, basic, primitive recording situation you've ever been in your life, you know. Isn't that interesting, though? Because I've often felt that, like, I've I've been a part of projects where we layer this and that on top of each other and you put various plugins into Pro Tools. You know where I'm coming from and you try to make bass guitars sound like organs and all the bullshit, excuse my language. But it's interesting that just four (laughs) or five blokes in your case plug in and you just go. And that's the that's it. Uh-huh. That's the ma- but the magic yeah. is in between the relationship between the musicians and how accomplished you are as musicians. You know that's it. That's yeah, really yeah, really it that's a formula. Bing, that's it. It's in the can. Thank you. <laughs> and then we had we headed off to Southampton for the next gig <laughs> on the oh tour. God. There you go. <laughs> and you know the thing is, John. People would say, "Oh, it's a different era." I, I think, well, it's still music. You know, the point is, it's still oh, music. Yeah. And I say this to young musicians all the time, the few that I do meet. It's like, forget about piecing together things like a jigsaw puzzle and Pro Tools or Avid or whatever whatever application they use to interface they use to record their music to. Make sure you can play everything from start to finish. That That's what being a musician oh, is yeah. all about. You know, really, exactly, yeah. really honing your craft, listening to the greats like you guys and going and like doesn't matter what genre you're playing either i mean the majority of the people i interview are from heavy metal death metal whatever but 
you 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 have well, to appreciate where the music comes from, which is you guys. You know the oh, last, yeah. the master yeah. builders, as I call you guys. You know, and <laughs> if if you haven't got an appreciation for that, you really it's like learning basic arithmetic before you hit algebra. Does that make sense? It's like these kids are learning algebra before they understood arithmetic. Yeah, that's indeed right. I mean, to, to me, when, uh, you know, like I say, our early influences, that, like Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Fats Domino, mm. uh, when you listen to those hits that they had in the, in the 50s, I mean, they just jump out of the speaker. They're, they're, they're still so... Uh, for me, anyway, I still say, wow, <laughs> listen to that, you know. You, you, I just still love those early recordings, Eddie Cochran, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and they, they were they were pretty primitive recordings as well, you know, but by God, they're not, they don't have to come out of the speaker and, you know, full tilt. It must be an age thing, John, because the older I get, the, the older the music I really get into is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I tend to, I, yeah. I love classical music, I love jazz music, but I'm really getting into yeah. a lot of soul, like Diana Ross and the Supremes. And I'm listening to it, and oh, it's, yeah. just, it's just affecting me, man. It's just, I'm listening to Diana sing, and, and I don't know who the bass player was she used back then, but being a bass player, I can just okay. hear... Whether it's probably James Jamison, of course it probably was, but who knows who it was? But yeah. they're just the drummer and James are just locking. If it's James, are just locking things down, and it just tugs on my soul. I can't describe it any other way. Yeah. It just hits you, especially after you've yeah. had a few uh, drinks. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to confess that um, the only um, sort of current music that I that I hear, mm. I hear on the radio. I, I, I'm really not. I'm not kind of trying to keep up anymore. I just can't. There's so much stuff out there. We're in different kind of streams and strata. Yeah. And I, I just can't be, you know, I just can't keep up with it. So I, I basically just fall back on what I've always loved anyway, you know, and just, I'm just listening to blues and jazz and rock and roll and uh, whatever. And, uh, and, and um, I don't ask. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. pre- pretend to be uh, uh, in touch with everything that's going on, you know. And I still, I still get uh, a, a tingle when I when I'm listening to Ray Charles or you know people that have yeah. been part of my life all my life, you know. It's interesting though. See, I'm a fan of those bands, but those musicians that you mentioned, in a lot of ways, they're your peers, they're your friends, they're people that you toured ah, yeah. with and worked with. So you have an entirely different relationship with them. So does that does that affect your listening experience? Like, do you when a song comes on by say Ray Charles or what have you, or an artist that you toured with that became very popular, do you sort of reflect on that moment when you're listening to that song? You know what I mean? If that happens, yeah, but um, you know, uh, Ray Charles and um, Chuck Berry. Well, toured, toured with Chuck Berry in '64, yeah. um, and Carl Perkins was on the tour as well. He wrote "Blue Suede Shoes" for and um, yeah, it's a big track. That, that 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 you know, Chuck Berry was one of our heroes because he was older than us, you know, and we we were listening to his stuff when we were you know 15 16 year old you know and suddenly in you know and in, in when we reached kind of 20 we're on on the road with him you know so to us it was like traveling with with somebody who was kind of on a pedestal for us hmm. but at, at, we were very very fortunate um with that tour to see chuck still at his absolute you know peak he was still absolutely on top of it and he had a good backing band uh, and he actually rehearsed with a backing band uh, it was king size taylor and the dominoes guys a bunch of guys from mostly from liverpool and uh, hamburg they worked in hamburg a lot 
and uh, so they were back in Chuck on this tour for three weeks, and uh, mm. they, they had it nailed, you know. And that, that was exceptional. I didn't know it at the time, but that was very, very rare, because Chuck, since then, uh, have, you know, realized he never rehearsed with anybody. He, he would turn up with his guitar. Yes. He, he, he would t- he would he would agree to a tour or a contract, and he would turn up with his guitar, and he'd have a, a local scratch band who just he expected them to know his stuff, and he'd go on stage and just go tap tap it in with his foot, and he'd, he'd take off without even telling them what number it was, you know. Oh my God, yeah. it, it could be it could be slow. It, could be so embarrassing sometimes because you know you get these guys who uh, weren't necessarily steeped in Chuck Berry's music trying to keep up with this guy and and he didn't give a shit as long the only thing Chuck worried about in, in later years was getting his money in his hand before he went on stage <laughs> yeah there's a lot of stories out tra- there about Chuck yeah. yeah it was a tragedy because the man was such a the I mean those songs, you know, just the lyrics of his songs are just absolutely fabulous, you know. But yeah, he got really yeah. sloppy and lazy, and uh, I think we had the the last the last of the best of Chuck Berry when we played that tour. Definitely, with him. yeah, yeah. There's that famous sh- uh, a TV show. I don't know whether you've seen this, but it's it's a train wreck with Yoko Ono, John Lennon, and Chuck Berry. I don't know. I think they might have been playing one of Chuck's songs. Um, uh-huh. And uh, was it Memphis, Tennessee, one of those songs there? But, you know, Yoko's oh, yeah. not a musician, let's face it. Everything else aside, exactly. she ain't a musician. She's <laughs> on stage doing that, you know, that, ye- I, I don't know what else I can call it, but yelling, you know, that yelling she does, oh. that in, that yeah, thing, that yeah. howling yelling. And you can see Chuck yeah. just going, it was one of those rare moments where I think in that period of time, because it was the early, in the 70s when, you know, to your point, things weren't, he wasn't quite on the same page sometimes as probably where he needed to be. Right. And but in right. that moment, I think he went, "Oh shit!" <laughs> you know, like you could see his <laughs> eyes go really wide and like look around, going, "What the hell have I got myself into here?" <laughs> oh, I never saw that. I must Do, check that out. Check it out on see YouTube. If I can find that. It's hilarious because it really. Oh, should... I will. It really should have just been him and John and Yoko's in the background doing, as I say, I don't know what you'd call it, yelling, yowling, yodeling, whatever, but she's doing it. And he's like, and she just cuts in at like this random, random time. Like it's not even in, in the Cat, right spot. Caterwauling, I think is a good, caterwauling is a good word. Oh my God. And, caterwauling. And, but check it out. You can see his eyes go, he just sort of stops what he's doing and goes, I don't know whether he looks around or not, but I know his eyes go bright. And he's like, you can just, you can read his mind thinking, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> oh, yeah, I must look at that. Yeah, so. I don't know how I've missed that. Oh, it's, yeah, there's there's a few out there like that. God, poor old Chuck. But that one, that one was very, um, I remember hearing about that on Joe Rogan's show. You've probably heard of Joe Rogan, that great podcaster. He was on his show about three or four years ago and, um, I checked okay. it out. I was driving and I listened to it. And I thought I'd check it out when I got home. And I was in a. I was. My wife isn't a music. You know, she she likes R and B. She was just watching Janet Jackson on the bloody weekend for God's sake. So, you know, and, and, and Fifty Cent and all this stuff. So she doesn't understand what you and I are talking about. But I, I remember t- telling her, showing her how funny it was. She goes, "What? It just looks like a woman yelling." And I was like, "It, it is a woman yelling, but it's Chuck Berry for God's sakes, and it's John Lennon." <laughs> I think she said, because she's my wife's half Filipino, so you know she's half Asian or what have you. But remember, she said it just looks like an Asian chick yelling. And I said, yeah, it's Yoko Ono, the Japanese singer, or Japanese wife of John Lennon. Or I don't even know whether they're married or what have you. And certainly anyway, not a musician, that's for sure. Yeah. 
<laughs> we had our own laugh about it, and I thought, yeah, it's interesting the cultural zeitgeist, as I like to call it. You know, things like this are really important to me. You know, for someone like her, she's like, just looks like some random chick on stage yelling. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, it is in one respect. <laughs> you know, but yeah. uh, but mate, look, yeah, it's it's I been was, check it out. But look. Yeah, look, it's been lovely to chat to you. I better let you go. It's been an hour that we've been chatting for. It's uh, certainly a privilege and an honour to, to chat to you. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed the chat anyway, Andy, Andrew. So it's uh, been good talking to you. And um, I hope... Uh, where are we playing in Brisbane? You, you're playing oh, yeah. at Twin Towns, um, I think. Hang on a sec. I just I had the um, the thing up. I'll just bring it up quickly again. Yeah, you're playing at... Oh, no, that doesn't have all of it on it. Hang on a sec. Um I thought you were playing at Twin Towns. Yeah, you are. You are playing Twin at Towns, Twin Towns. Yeah. yeah, you're playing. Yeah, at... on the 14th. Yeah, that's that's near. I've played. I've. You'll actually be playing on the same stage I've played on. So there you go. Um, once or twice yeah. I've done that. Yeah, I remember there. the place. I've been there. I've been there before. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it's a great massive, venue. Um, yeah, it was, it was originally an RSL club, wasn't it? Spot on. Yeah, you know the Australian lingo. Yeah, it was, and um, it's nowadays probably the biggest club within probably. Geez, it might be the biggest club almost in the in the area. And when I say area, the two states combined. Yeah. Um, you know, it gets yeah. thousands of people through there a day, tens of thousands potentially through there a day. And remember the sound guy he always said to me, he goes, he said, you turn your bloody bass amp up, I'll turn you off. I remember that. And I said, I won't turn my bass amp up. You know, <laughs> I'm not a rock star, believe me. I'm just in the backing band. I'm just here to sort of entertain the masses before the real deal turn up, you know. The John Steels and the animals turn up. So I'm not going to... I'm not going to, you know, outstay my welcome, put it that way. But no, it's, it's, a, it's a great venue, that one there. And I think I've played Kendra, Kendra and Wavell before too. That's in Brisbane where you guys are playing. That's an RSL club, I think. That should be a good one as well. Yeah, yeah, we're playing on the, the night before, the 13th. Well, if you, if, if you can manage to turn up at either of those or whatever, Andrew, it would be nice to see you and we can um, have a drink as well as a chat. I'd like that, mate. Yeah, I'll try and what get if... to the uh, Twin Towns gig, actually. Okay, okay, that would be great. Mm. But anyway, if not, it's been uh, it's been good talking to you again, and um, uh, I hope we meet up. And I'm looking forward to the to tour, and I'm looking forward to the weather too. Really, am. Oh, it's, enjoy uh, it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> enjoy it. Yeah, look, get to the beach, okay. mate, if you can. It's it's like I mean, it's the bushfire. I mean, look, don't worry about all of the you know the catastrophizers. We get bushfires every year, okay. And uh, yeah. we just manage it. Yeah. It's just been a bit bad this year because we haven't had rain in bloody eight months or something like that, you know. So um, yeah. it's it's not as bad as, believe me, you know what the media is like. They sort of catastrophize it. And then yeah. there's the Greta Thronberg thing and, you know, all the climate change stuff. And, you know, it's, it's not, a, not I mean, I'm not, not saying that people losing their property isn't a bad thing to fires, but I'm just saying we're all still going about our daily lives is what I'm saying. So most of us, 90% of us are. So, mate, good to see you down here. And if we can catch up, mate, it'd be lovely to have that beer with you. That'd be great. Thanks a lot for the chat, Andrew. It's been, been really enjoyable. Love it, mate. No worries at all. Thanks very much again. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye now. Gotcha. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online. And my name, it's Andrew Mackay-Smith. Hope you really enjoyed that conversation with John Steele from The Animals. Thanks so much for listening.